Well, today you'll have um, three dads talk to you. Uh, I'll be first, and Gary will be second, and Eric will be third there, giving you our thoughts on this special day. So I will begin. Time and life's events changed my role of fatherhood from the ever-vigilant, always responsible support dad to a role similar to a mentor. As my children have left home to build their own lives in faraway cities, their relationship to me has changed from someone they report to to that of a very trusted friend. My conversations with Molly and John are as good a conversation regarding truth and honesty as I have known in my life. In addition, both my children have no problems giving their opinion and advice back to me. Tough love in return, and I've appreciated their courage in doing so. Watching my kids grow, making mistakes, surviving harrowing experiences, excelling in their chosen professions, and through it all, staying connected with each other is an amazing thing to witness and be a part of. Fatherhood demands honesty. Your children expect and deserve it as you are usually trusted and respected by them. For me, fatherhood has been an evolution. You're never prepared. Regardless of what you read and what family and friends have told you, you will certainly make mistakes. And usually you'll learn from them and then celebrate the achievements as they come along. I'll share with you a few of my mistakes. Um, <clears throat> this, and fortunately, this, I swear this mistake will haunt me for the rest of my days uh, at family reunions and things. I call it the green bean pancake time. Uh, when the kids were small, uh, like three and five, uh, on Saturday mornings, I usually cook breakfast, and pancakes were the, the big deal, you know, and the kids liked them and everything like that. Well, on one particular morning, I went to the fridge, opened it up, and there were green beans in there. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, you got carbos, you got veggies, you know, you put all this together, and you got green bean pancakes. And it's, I mean, it's really nurturing, nutritious, you know. You could not imagine the, when the kids came around the table, and Eileen saw that, with these green things sticking out, you know. <laughs> Just don't do that. Don't, don't go there. So that's a, that's a mistake I, I certainly have not repeated there, but I get talked about a lot on that one. Uh, night feedings. That's an interesting adventure there. Uh, I honestly don't remember exactly what we did with John. <laughs> I think he was such a mellow guy, he slept through the night all the time, but Molly was different. And uh, Eileen and I had made a, uh, a pact that um, if Molly woke up before 2 o'clock in the morning, I would feed the child. If she woke up after 2 o'clock, well, Eileen would get up. For 18 months, Molly woke up at 1.30. <laughs> just, 
sure as, you know, <laughs> she loved her daddy. <laughs> and at times, her daddy loved her back. So, uh, But uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, Eileen would come in, and the bottle would be on the floor, and Molly would be sound asleep, I'd be sound asleep. And so we'd disperse with that. <laughs> but uh, that was interesting there. Uh, I'll list for you a few other markers that uh, I think about often. Hiring babysitters, that's always an adventure, regardless of how it goes. Getting them home at night, you know. Uh, Riding the school bus, uh, taking them to the bus stop, leaving them there if you had to get on with another obligation and seeing how small they are compared to things around daycare. Uh, working hard to get there by the end of the day before they close the doors, white-knuckling the steering wheel, driving, teaching them to drive. Oh, wow. Uh, tell you one on John here. Um, he had taken driver's ed, and uh, uh, he wanted a little bit more in-town experience rather than driving at the Independence Bowl parking lot, you know. So he said, Dad, I know this, this run, and it's right along Corby's Golf Course, and uh, you'll love it. You'll love it. You know, sure. You know, he's taking driver's ed. He knows what he's doing. So I sit beside him, and we're going down that road right alongside the golf course, and I know that road. And at the end of the road, there is a 90-degree turn, 90-degree turn. And so John's doing about 45, and I'm, I'm watching, and I'm thinking, stay calm. Do not intervene the man has got to learn you know no that was not the right thing to do <laughs> we went straight through the intersection into the the lawn of the uh, the neighbors hit the hit the curb with such force that it not only blew the tire but it dented the rim and uh it was a mess it was a mess so uh, from that point on if i have the least doubt that things aren't quite going right I say something <laughs> speak up there um, then we moved on to dating um, John's was pretty normal uh, Molly dated a guy that uh, rode a scooter that was a new adventure for me uh, but they had matching helmets that matched the scooter which was pretty cool they had matching white helmets and the scooter was white and, and I really liked the guy so that uh, that was good. And then, of course, we moved on to graduation and weddings and moving away. One of my, my most cherished memories, and I don't, I don't tell this to Molly very often, but uh, at, her, at her wedding, um, she invited me to come up to her uh, room there. Uh, it was in Austin. And uh, she and the uh, maid of honor... Uh, were hanging out before it was time to go to the wedding. And I just sat there like a fly on the wall and watched the two of them busily making small talk. You know, you could tell it was just a, a buzz in the room, you know, and they just didn't quite know what to do. And they were kept looking at the, their watches and clocks and time. And, you know, it was just amazing energy between the two of them at that one, that one time. So Now, I'm, I'm a granddad three times over. And uh, with grandkids, it's all the fun with a lot less responsibility, as you know. Uh, and the old saying, you play with them, you spoil them. And 
leave them for their parents to deal with. And that's really, that's really true. I'm grateful to be a dad. I'm appreciative of the gifts and responsibilities of this miracle of creation. And I have changed and grown as a result. At its best, I think fatherhood is a gentle nudging toward becoming a better human being. It reminds me how very precious time is and how non-reversible, thank goodness, the process is. There's no going back. At best, you can cherish your victories, learn from your losses, and share your journey with others. Parenting has been a wonderful opportunity for me to better understand who I am, what I value, what I believe in, and what I want to change. It presents you with love in different lights at different ages of your children and in different circumstances, beginning from gentle to assertive, tough to acceptance and release. Often I can see my father in my actions and thoughts. I feel his pride when things get fixed and problems get solved. I sense his fears when I struggle, feel vulnerable and afraid. My dad taught me well enough with enough courage and confidence to make a difference in myself, my kids, and others. The love, emotional support, and guidance that I gave my kids has come full circle. As they both have shown tough love toward me to change passive behaviors to meaningful actions and take responsibility for my life. I'm very close to my kids. <clears throat> even though we usually only see each other once a year. They live in Portland, Oregon, and Boise, Idaho. My kids have opened me up, shown me love at a higher level, and empowered me to become a better person. We expect each of us to succeed in living a meaningful life, but most of all, to live with honesty, integrity, and love. Thank you. morning everyone. <clears throat> My name is Gary Baird. My wife Karen and I, we've been members here since uh, 2008. I'm an older dad but I'm a rookie in that our boys are going to be five and six this year and, and that comes without, that, that comes with its interesting challenges in that it's, it's exhausting enough being a parent but it's, it's really really hard being an older parent so to speak. But in order to understand what it means to me, you have to have somewhat of a background in how we became to be parents and how I became to be a father. <clears throat> we had some difficulties on our journey to parenthood, and so we decided that uh, we were going to adopt. So we started that journey in 2006, and in uh, late 2006, the Navy decided that they needed me to go to Iraq. So I spent most of 2007 in Iraq. And about two months before it was time for me to come home, Karen wrote me and said, um, well, I, I, think we found a, uh, I think we found a baby. And a, a friend of her cousin's was pregnant, going to have a baby, and wanted to put it up for adoption. So two weeks after I got home, our oldest son, Aiden, was born. I still had a little over a month's leave accrued that I had to take, and so before I went back to work, uh, I sat at home with Karen and Aiden. 
I also, in, in, I work for the Caddo Sheriff's Office. I've, I've been there for 18 years. And so that's, that's also interesting as well, too, in, in, in having a career in law enforcement and, and being a daddy. And I'll touch more on that a little bit later. The interesting thing about Aiden is nine months to the day later, Loudon was born. And so now we have two children who are nine months to the day apart, one adopted and one that's ours. And, and that posed some interesting <laughs> situations for us because while we were still nursing Aiden and going through all the things that you go through with an infant, Karen was pregnant. <clears throat> so... I I was still getting used to having this little bitty thing at the house and, and I mean it was strange for me. I was scared. I I don't know. I I'd, I'd been used to new and different situations and and reacting to them and and doing the best that I could, but this is something that didn't go away at the end of the day or with a report or anything like that. He was there. <clears throat> and and so as the midnight feedings went on and as the diaper changings and holding them in the baths and sitting there and little things like smelling that newborn smell, I just remember thinking, man, this is neat. This is great. Uh, and I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And I loved every minute of that time that I got. Yeah, it was tiring and it was exhausting. And, and there were times when, when we wondered, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it, you know, through the day, are, are we going to make it in this marriage? Um, what are we doing? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do it financially? How are we going to do it emotionally and psychologically? But we did it. <clears throat> and then Loudon came along, and, and I made the decision, and we talked about it, and I made the choice. And it was a, a very, it was really not a, a hard decision to make to take family leave. Um, some of my coworkers looked at me kind of odd because, it, you know, it's, still somewhat non-standard for, for the father to take family leave these days, but I took 12 weeks off with pay, if for no other reason than because I could. And I'm glad I did. I don't regret it. I don't regret one second of it because that's time I'll never get back, and that's time that Loudon will never get back, and that's time I got to spend with both of the boys. <clears throat> and the reward in that is now I've got two brutally honest truth factories who are four and five <laughs> and you know they'll tell you their opinion you, you, you always know where you stand with them you'll know when they're happy you'll know when they're angry they'll let you know it and it seems like all they want to do is be with their daddy and I, that's an awesome compliment for me and, and Karen's got an uncle that told me when Aiden was born, you know, being a daddy means that they'll make you the happiest you'll ever be and they'll make you the angriest you'll ever be. But he didn't tell me that sometimes it'll be all in the same five minutes. I mean, <laughs> but while I've taken some criticism, you know, from my coworkers, I don't have any regrets because... 
now I've got them and I've got, I've got the knowledge of knowing that these two little guys, you know, they want to be with me. And they, even, even if I have to discipline them, five minutes later, it's like it's all gone. They're crawling all over me again just like it never happened. And they're holding me and they're telling me they love me. And, and it's very, very humbling. And I, I can't help but think that if they do the same thing, that, and, and, and it keeps going on, that, that you know, in, in, in some small sense that the world can be a better place. And it just makes a difference in, in taking time now and making time. Because, don't get me wrong, there's times when I, I just don't want to do anything. I just want to sit down and be left alone. And at the end of the day, when I, I, I realize I've taken that time to do some, <clears throat> excuse me, do something that I, I didn't want to do at the time, whether it's look at you know what they're doing on the Kindle or look at what they're doing in the backyard, I realize it's all worth it. And, and for me, that's what being a father or being a daddy is all about. It, it's it's about learning, and I, and I think I've learned more from them than they're learning from me, and I think I'm going to continue to learn more from them than they are from me, but it's a realization that it's, it's more of a, a two-way thing, and it, it's a constant, ongoing thing, but above all, it's, it, it's humbling, and it's also a, an honor, and I've really, really, really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to it, because really the only only thing I'm truly, truly afraid of after my career with the sheriff's office and also um, my time in the military, the only thing that I'm really and truly afraid of is outliving my boys. I want to watch them grow old. That's all I want to do. Thank you. Somewhere in the Bible it says the first shall be last. So, um, Happy Father's Day. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I teach down at the medical school, and one of the things I learned very early in my teaching career was that I hate podiums, so I'm not going to stand behind it. Um, I'm here representing the divorced fathers, and so that's, I, guess that's my, I guess that's why I was chosen to talk today. Um, and, and what I'm going to tell you is, is not just about being a dad, but I'm going to actually tell you about how I came to All Souls, because the two are actually tied pretty closely together. And, but before that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my father. I'm, I'm going to try not to make it into a William Faulkner novel. Uh, but I want to say a couple things about my dad. Um, so my father was born on a farm outside of Ionia, Michigan. And he would have spent his entire life very happily being a farmer. But my mother said, I'm not going to marry a farmer. And so after he got back from the Korean War, uh, sorry, Korean police action, he, he uh, went to graduate school and, be, and became a professor of animal science. And he actually had a, has a, had a very distinguished career. He was uh, involved in the early research on in vitro fertilization. He was involved in uh, early research on cloning of, of animals. Uh, Ian Wilmot, the guy who cloned the sheep Dolly, actually came to my dad's lab 
spent six months there learning to do the cell fusion technique, which he then went and took back to Scotland and created Dolly with it. Um, and so he, he had a very good scientific career, but you know, I know him as my dad. And uh, my friends, when I, was, when I was growing up, they always told me what a great father I had, because he was always involved in what we were doing. When we went on scouting trips, he would always come on the scouting trips, he'd come camping with us. Um, if we went skiing, he'd always come, come skiing with us. He didn't ski, or he didn't ski very well. And he'd spend most of his time in the chalet reading his papers and watching us ski. But he, he took us skiing. Uh, and, you know, if, he's the kind of guy that if, if there, so I grew up in Wisconsin, if there's the type of guy, if, if there was a, a person stuck in the snowbank, he'd stop the truck, he'd get up, and he'd help, he'd help push him out of the snowbank. Um, and I want to share two stories about my dad with you. Um, the first is actually my, my earliest real memory. It was when I was three and we were moving from Lansing, Michigan, where he did his graduate work, to Madison, Wisconsin, where he was going to take a postdoctoral fellowship. And, and my dad loves to tell the story. Um, and so we, we had, uh, they had rented a truck and they had a, a car. And so my mom took my brother, my older brother Doug, and my younger brother Phil, who was just a baby at the time, in the car. But I insisted I wanted to ride with Dad in the truck. And so they said, okay, you can, ride with, you can ride with your Dad in the truck. And so all the way over from Michigan to Wisconsin, as my dad tells it, I never stopped talking. <laughs> and I kept getting out of the seat and standing up, and I remember, remember him telling me, sit down in the seat, because I'm sure he was terrified that he was going to swerve and I was going to fall over or something. And, but, but he says, I never stopped talking. And he says, that's the one thing that kept him awake the entire trip. And the other, thing, the other story I want to tell is, is I think gives a sense of an idea into, into a sense of humor. Um, he went in early one St. Patrick's Day to work. And the reason he went in, early, in to work early was because he wanted to put, put green food coloring into the coffee maker. And so he put green food coloring into the coffee maker, and he doesn't drink coffee. He was, I guess, the only one in the department that didn't drink coffee. Uh, but he put this green food coloring in, and, every, and that morning, as the coffee maker kept repercolating, the coffee got greener and greener and greener. And nobody could figure out who would do such a thing. I think in the end they finally figured out, since he was the only one not drinking it, it was him. But, um, but the other thing about my dad is, is that when I actually got divorced, he's really the only one in the family that just gave me his total unconditional support, didn't care what happened, didn't... He, he just said, you know, we're here, we love you no matter what, and, and I really, I mean, that was the best thing he could have ever done for me. Okay, so uh, before the divorce, I think I was a pretty good father before the, the divorce. And when Sam was born, I loved, um, when, when he was in the hospital, I couldn't, I can a bit of, get a bit higher. Um, so when, when Sam was born, um, every time I could, I, I would hold him. And the nurse at one point came and, and said, you know, we can't get him to go to sleep. Do you hold him a lot? And we said, well, yeah, every time we can. <laughs> and, and that actually continued. Um, and he actually, we had a hard time getting him to go to sleep when, when he was in the crib. And I, people say you should let them cry it out. Sam would have cried all night. 
he was a very stubborn baby, and I don't know where he gets that from. But, but in the end, we ended up, I would usually be the one that would go in, and I would lay down with him, I would cuddle with him until he went to sleep. And I loved that. And, um, you know, I would take him with me where, if I went to the grocery store, I'd take him, I'd put him on my shoulders, I'd be talking to him, and I just loved being, loved being with him. I mean, it was, it was just, it was great. I, I even liked getting up at three in the morning to, to go and lay down with him and try and get him to go back to sleep. Uh, he asked me a, a couple months ago where I was on 9-11. And I think he was expecting me to say, oh, I was at work. And actually, I wasn't at work. And the reason I wasn't at work was because the night before, I had been at work very late, and I had missed him going to bed. And because I had missed him going to bed, I wanted to hang out in the morning and play with him. And so on, on the morning of 9-11, I actually stayed home, and I played with Sam. And then I went and took him to Georgia so she could feed him, and I went and got in my shower. When I came out of the shower, I turned on the TV, and I was shocked to see the news was still on. I thought, that's weird. The news is still on. And of course, it was the two towers, and, and I have this vivid memory of, of watching the towers and the smoke coming out of them, and Sam's eating the, in the kitchen eating Cheerios. Um, okay, so I got divorced in, I think, 2005, and looking back on it, there's no question it was the right decision. I mean, to be honest, I was a mess. Um, I, was, I had insomnia for several years, I, I had uh, bad stomach problems, and, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was primarily because I was in a bad marriage. And, and so looking back, there's, there's no question for me that it was, it was the right decision, but it's also the hardest thing I had to do because it meant I would not be able to see Sam every day. And uh, when I, we actually got divorced and the lawyer told me, well, you're going to be able to see him you're going to have him with you every other weekend and on Wednesday nights. I just literally went into shock, and I don't remember anything else he said that day. It's just, it's just a blur, because I, I couldn't imagine not seeing him more than that. Um, and so I did, it turns out, I did what I found out a number of other divorced fathers do. Um, they go and they have lunch with their kids at school. And so I would go twice a week. Fortunately, my job allows me to get away. I would go twice a week. I would have lunch with him. Sometimes he liked it. Sometimes he was kind of rude. And I said, you know, Sam, you're really rude today. Um, but I went twice a week and, and hung out with him. And, and I'm glad I did. Um, and I got to know a few other the divorced fathers there. <laughs> and then after a couple years, um, we actually worked out an arrangement where I would have him for one week and then George would have him the next week. And, and I asked Sam about it, and, and I said, you know, do you like this? And he said, yeah, I like it. I think it's fairer. And I thought for, for a little kid, I thought that was an incredible thing to, to say. Okay, so um, about the time I got divorced, Georgia started taking Sam to First Presbyterian Church. Now, we had never gone to church, and so I started... My mind was a bit not in a great place at that point. I was kind of paranoid, and I thought, why is she doing this? Is she going to try and use it against me and take him away from me completely? And, and the other thing I thought was, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, I don't really want him to be indoctrinated into one religion. 
I grew up Methodist because my parents took us to a Methodist church. And I wanted him to have a choice. I wanted him to make that choice. Do, does he want to be Presbyterian? Does he want to be something else? And so I thought back to my childhood, and I had a, a good friend when I was a, in elementary school. His name was David Lovell. David Lovell was by far the most well-adjusted kid I've ever known. And he was Unitarian. And I thought, well, if it worked for David Lovell... So I gave you guys a chance. Um, and, and the first, I remember driving in, the first time I drove into All, All Souls, first thing that struck me was this parking lot. And I thought, this is not a normal parking lot. This is, we're parking in and around nature, and I thought that was really cool, that, that you didn't have just a, a square parking lot, that you had trees in it, and, and really parked among, among the nature. And then, um, I'm sitting, and then they, we sung the children out, and I'm sitting in the service, listening to the service, and I'm looking out, and I'm looking out behind these windows, and all of a sudden, these kids go by the windows. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And it turns out that Susan had organized a treasure hunt. And after service, Sam came out with these glasses, with these googly eyes <laughs> falling out of them, and talking about this nature trail, and we had to go down and see the nature trail, and he just had a great time. And, and I... Uh, I took him, you know, as we're driving home, he said, that was great. Can we come back next week? And I had to say, well, no, you're with your mom next week, but we can come back in two weeks. And so he was okay with that. So I, I want to actually uh, take a minute and plug the, make a shameless plug for the RE program because Susan always needs teachers, and it's a lot of fun, and actually it's not a lot of work because Susan does all the work. She prepares the the lesson plans, and all you have to do is read the lesson plans and follow them, and, and it, it's actually really, really easy, and if you don't want to do a whole module, just do a few, few classes and see what you think. Um, so then, then after the divorce, um, and I've talked to other, fa other divorced fathers about this, and they actually agree with me, I think I became a much better father. Um, and I don't know if it's because I don't see Sam all the time that I appreciate the time I'm with him more or, or what, but um, I I'm, I'm definitely think I've, I've improved as a father. Uh, one of the things that I, I was wanted to, worried about was that I wanted to try and get some sense of stability into his life and, and I wanted to you know, try and minimize the, the effects of the divorce. And, and so early on I actually made a decision that I wouldn't talk about the divorce um, and wouldn't talk about my problems with Georgia to anybody except a few close friends. I wouldn't say anything negative about Georgia because um, I didn't want to get back to Sam. And, and so um, one of the things that I did though to try and, try and give him a sense of stability was actually try and make him feel like the room, his bedroom was his own, that that was his own place to live in. So we decorated his room with posters. If he got an, a certificate of achievement, it would go on the wall above his bed. His bed, pretty soon his bed, bed the wall by his bed was filled with these certificates of achievement. I got smart after a while and I, I realized we were going to have to move sometime and so I started laminating them so they'd come off the wall easier. Um, I'd go to all his activities, I'd go to scouts, swimming, go to all his fencing and, and, and still try to do all, all of that. And I, we, I tried to establish some traditions. And so, for example, at Christmas, every Christmas I would give him a nutcracker. 
And sometimes I'd, I'd go to garage sales and I'd see nutcrackers for sale and I'd, I'd get nutcrackers and, and surprise them. And so if you look in our, our house now above the fireplace, it's filled with this nutcracker collection. Uh, I did the same thing with, with snow globes. I'd go to pick up snow globes at, at garage sales. Now he's got this huge snow globe collection in the basement. Uh, and and, and I, I tried to give him some, some memories for, for both of us, really. Um, a few years ago, when, when it snowed in Shreveport, um, I went over to Georgia's to help him make a snowman. And I got there, and they'd made some little snowmen. And I said, well, let's, think, let's make a big one. And so I packed up the snow, and I started rolling it. And he said, so that's how you do that. He had never rolled a snowball, because not being from the north like I was, he didn't know how to do it. Um, I got the same reaction with it with when we got a dog recently. Uh, he, uh, he'd always had cats, and so he's starting to play with his dog. He's starting to play with it like a cat. And so I got down there, and I started messing with the dog, and he said, that's how you play with dogs. And now he, he's realized I think he's a dog person. <laughs> uh, we, also have, we, we would also go over to my dad's fairly often. My dad moved to Mississippi. And so in, if for a while I was getting out uh, CD, these books on CD from the library. And unfortunately, my CD player only holds one CD. And a lot of these books are five, six, sometimes ten CDs. And so Sam would be in the back with the CDs, and I'd be up front, and we'd come to the end of the CD, I'd pull it out of the player, I'd hand it back to him, I'd say, okay, Sam, give me the next one. And he'd be putting in the old one and pulling out the new one. And that, that worked until he got really good at reading, and, and then he decided that he'd rather read on the trips over than listening to the CDs. Uh, so, um, I don't want to make it seem like it's all been great, because there have been a lot of difficulties. Um, we, in the beginning, I yelled a lot and argued a lot with him, and uh, too much with him, really. And... and uh, he especially didn't like it when I would set boundaries. I'd try and get him to bed early because I wanted him to make sure that he got enough sleep before school. He really didn't like that. Uh, he started, at one point, started calling me Eric instead of Dad, and that bothered me. Um, I tried not to show it. Occasionally I would say things like, you know, everybody gets to call me Eric. You're the only one in the world that can call me Dad. But he wanted to call me Eric, and some of my friends thought it was cute. They said, ah, Eric and Sam, buddy buddies. And I thought, I don't want to be his buddy. I want to be his dad. Um, and, and so then I stumbled upon this technique that, uh, well, read, read a book about parenting where um, the author suggested that instead of trying to reason or argue with your child, um, that there's really no point in that. And really what you want to do is use the parent-child bond and try and use that to get your child to, to actually um, behave. And, and so the idea, and you explain all this to your kid beforehand, but the idea is, is that if your child misbehaves, you just stop interacting with them. You stop talking with them, you stop interacting with them until they come and apologize. And that worked wonders. I mean, that was really great. It was really, really good. Sometimes, you know, Sam's a bit stubborn, Sometimes, one time, he didn't apologize till the next day. And the next morning, he came into my bedroom and he apologized. But, but he all, it always ended up, he always apologized. And I learned, so he learned to apologize to me. I learned to apologize to him. 
and our relationship got a lot better after that. Um, Nadia's been a, a big help. Um, I remember he, he brought home, at one point, he, he had, at school, they made this booklet of the family. And it had different things that the family did. And it was about, I think, about eight pages where he'd colored different pictures. And I looked at it, and I said, there's only one picture of me in there. And I was just crestfallen. And Nadia came over, and she looked at it, and she said, you need to look that, at that again. Yes, there's only one picture of you. But it's the only picture where everybody is smiling. Um, and another thing that helped is, is actually being here at All Souls. So there's one, one sermon in particular. There was a, a Christian service, actually, that was held before the normal service. And the minister came and talked about forgiveness. And what he said is that forgiveness isn't for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. It's so that you can move on. And it's, sometimes it's not just the message. It's when you hear the message. And at that point, that message came at just the right time for me. Uh, it's still not perfect. He has started calling me dad. About a couple years ago on my birthday, he decided as my birthday present, he'd call me dad for the day. And then afterwards, he decided he kind of liked it, and he'd keep calling me dad. So I'm, I'm finally dad again. Um, sometimes he gives me surprises. And so this is one of his surprises, which I was in my office a couple months ago, and, and he was in the office with me, and I, I reached into my drawer and to pull out my USB drive, and I pulled it out a couple inches, pulled out the USB drive, closed the door, and he said, so that's why you never saw it. I said, what? And he opened up the drawer, and he pulled out this picture. And I don't know if you can read it, but the picture says, you looked like you were having a bad day, so I drew you a cat. And I felt so bad because I hadn't seen it. It was in the drawer. I hadn't seen it. But not only hadn't I seen it, but I'm sure he drew it on a day when I got mad at him about not doing his homework. <laughs> so I, was, I felt doubly bad about it. And he, he surprised me about six months ago. He surprised me again. Um, and we were in the car, and, and he said, I don't remember the conversation, but he said, this is my church. All Souls is my church. And I said, well, you have two churches, you know. You've got First Presbyterian, you've got All Souls. And he said, no, All Souls, uh, he said, First Presbyterian is mom's church. I go there with her. But All Souls is my church. Um, so, thanks, guys. I'm not done. I'm just thanking you for being a good church. I know you're trying to get rid of me. Um, I, I have the, the other thing that recently Nadia and I bought a house so I get to be now not only father to Sam I get to be stepfather to Anna a 17 year old teenager teenage girl and, uh, and, and so now I get the joy of doing things like helping teach her how to drive so last week we, we had a great road trip out to Jefferson, Texas and I got to show her how to drive on the interstate and if you haven't been to Jefferson, this was my first time to Jefferson, Texas. If you haven't been, you've got to go to the general store. It's like taking a trip to, to your past. It's amazing. We have to go back to get more fizzies. 
Um, but what I want to end with is, is this thing, which if you can't see is a paper clip. Um, how many, how many think, what, what else can you make of this besides a paper clip? What, what can you make out of a paper clip? What? Yeah, that's a bit too shallow. I want specifics. A fish hook. What else? Toothpick. What else? Ear cleaner. Crisistine ornament. What else? Candle holders. Okay. A spare key. Earrings. Necklace. Okay. So the average person can think of probably 10 or 12 things to make out of, out of a paper clip. There's one group of people that can think of hundreds of things, and this is actually a test of creativity. Who, what group of people can think of hundreds of things to make out of a paper clip? Children, kindergartners. And that's because they don't see it as a paper clip. What they see it as is a giant 50-foot foam paper clip that they can bounce their multicolored unicorn off of. Or they see it, they make it out of jello. Or they string a bunch of paper clips together and they, they make a road to the moon and back. Right? And so one of the things that as, as a parent, one of the things I think we have to do is try and help them keep their creativity that they have as kindergartners and try and help them keep them their whole keep that the, their whole life. Now I'm done. <laughs> Thanks.